everyone. Welcome to Coach Out Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. And here's what we've got lined up for you this week. So we separate them. And then there was about a split second where Jelka waited for me to jump in to take control of the situation. And I just hesitated and I didn't. So after that split second, he took control of the situation and started, you know, called all the players over, sat them all down, uh, told them how that's, you know, not acceptable whatsoever. And from that moment on, they only ever looked at him as the head coach and me as the assistant. Coach Help is here to help you. Do you want guidance on your own personal development? Do you want to reflect better? Coach Help's primary focus is to help teachers, practitioners and coaches to do this. Get in touch today to set up a free consultation and ask any questions. You can follow us on Twitter at CoachHelp3 or email us at CoachHelp123 at gmail.com. Hi Connor, um, thanks for joining us on the Coach Help podcast. Really appreciate you coming on. Um, just again, briefly to start, just give us a little bit of background, kind of where you are at the minute, and then we'll get into kind of where you've come from as well. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks for having me first. And uh, second, uh, I live in Spain at the moment, in the south of Spain in Murcia, and I'm coaching the under-19s for my local town football team, which is Matheran Football Club. Brilliant. Um, so, again, <laughs> obviously you're British, you're working in Spain. Yeah. How how does that kind of come about for you? And Well, luckily, I've lived in Spain all my life, pretty much. My mum and dad moved over here when I was five. So I've been brought up in Spain. I've been to Spanish school, Spanish high school, Spanish college. I've done all my coaching qualifications through the Spanish FA, all in Spanish. So, you know, it's 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 home. You know, I've been here since I was five. I've been here 20 years now. and I've not really ever known anything else. Right, brilliant. In terms of, so like, was it a case of you played football as a kid and then you moved into coaching? How did that yeah. kind of come about? So I started off playing football, you know, like you do for your local your local town team from about the age of eight or nine. Uh, played probably up until about the age of 14, 15. And then I sort of knocked playing on the head for a couple of years because I had a bad experience with the team. Uh, and then after that, I got back into it, you know, through friends pestering you to come and play again. And then I realised that after about the age of 16, 17, after I'd done a couple of little years coaching in like a soccer school throughout the summers, I was like, coaching coaching's the path for me with, with yeah. football, more than playing. I loved it straight away. And I got the bug early doors. And then it was just focusing on getting my qualifications and then trying to get going as quick as possible, really. So how early was it and kind of what was your route around qualifications and getting that kind of stuff done? Yeah, so um, my very, very first job as a coach was uh, when I was 15 and uh, a former former manager of mine that I played for, he, in the summers he had like a soccer school, which yeah. as a kid I used to I used to play in as a kid. Um, and then his work got so busy he couldn't keep running the soccer school. So he gave me a phone call and said, Connor, he said, you know, he said, when you was in the soccer school, you was always good with the with the younger kids helping him out and stuff. And he said, uh, he said, Would you would you like to have a go at, at running the soccer school for me this summer? And I was I just I said, Yeah, said strip, no problem. Like I yeah. really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh it was it was only about it was about eight weeks throughout the summer, two sessions a week. And there was a really mixed age. I think the youngest kid we had was three and the oldest was twelve. So it was it was a really good challenge early on to make sure that your sessions, you know, they were 
fun for everyone and you had to make sure they were not too hard for the three, four-year-old. It was like the first time he's ever been to football, but then still make it challenging for the 11-year-olds who have been playing for a couple of years and wanted to get a bit of extra practice in the summer when the clubs weren't playing. And yeah, from there, um, I went and worked with uh, with the same coach again. His name's Jelko. I've got to give him a lot of credit. He was the one who got me into coaching, so I, I want to thank him for that. Um, he then went and worked for the Lorca Women's Reserve Team, which is in another town a few, few, a few miles away. And he asked me to be his assistant after he saw how well I did with the soccer school. Um, we had that first season there together where we did we did really well. And then after that, um, I was like, I need to get my own licences now. Because yeah. I, I, yeah. I wanted to be on my own two feet then. And then um, I went to the Spanish FA, got in contact with the local football federation in Murcia. And it was literally, you know, they were welcoming as many people they could get on the courses. So I uh, just started doing my... Uh, over here, it's called your basic coaching qualification. Uh, and then you have your advanced coaching qualification, then your professional coaching right. qualification. Right. So that's how, it, that's how it works. And then, again, going back to kind of what you're saying about the soccer school stuff, I think everyone's kind of, well, a lot of coaches have done that route. What's, what's like the biggest challenge, but then also probably the biggest piece of advice you could give to someone who you're coaching that five-year-old and an 11-year-old like in the same session and like you I said think, there how are you going to like cater for everyone yeah I think the most the most important thing if it's a soccer school in in this you know in the summer it's just for the kids to yeah. have a bit of fun so you obviously you're not good for me personally anyway I'd never go in there with the mentality of you know right we've we've got to get this done we've got that done you know the the, the young kids at the end of the day in the summer holidays they're on holiday abroad they want to play a bit of football just the way I did it was just a few passing drills. Obviously, put the the more the older kids to one side, the younger ones to one side. You know, sort of match them on age a little bit, and then just give them little corrections and make sure they're doing things the right way. Nothing too intense, just little corrections, and then just make sure they have fun. And then it always it always seemed to work. Yeah, and then like probably probably going on from that. So you, in your kind of early days as a coach. Um, is there any kind of real lesson you learned or maybe like a mistake you made where you thought oh, um yeah. this is kind of yeah. Yeah, there was a massive one and I'll never and I knew it within about three seconds after it happened. So I was um after we did the local women's team, uh we got asked to go and coach the under nineteens uh boys team for another football team in, in the port of Matheron, which is about twenty minutes from me. And uh, we got the job through Jelko because he'd been a coach for 20 years and I'd done one season. Yeah. Um, but with his work commitments, the idea was I was going to be the head coach and he was going to be my support system because he has to travel a lot for work. So he wasn't going to be there the whole time to be able to run it all the time. So the idea was I'd be the head coach and I had 20 years experience behind me. He was going to help me guide me through my first season of football. Uh, and I remember it was about three weeks in and throughout the week, my first mistake was not nipping it in the bud straight away. Two of the two of the better players, they've been at each other all week in training, you know, like little nasty comments here and little dirty tackles there. And, you know, when you could feel the atmosphere building yeah. with on the training pitch. And my first mistake was not stopping it there and then. Uh, but so we let it Monday, Wednesday, they were at each other a little bit. We never pulled them aside and said anything to them. And then Friday comes, one of them dipped past the other one with a little nutmeg. And he just absolutely 
walloped him with the like yeah. the, the like the most dirtiest tackle you've ever seen. So the other one jumps up, he turns around, and he just smacked him right on the chin. And so we've gone running over as you do, separate them all. So we separate them, and then there was about a split second where Jelko waited for me to jump in to take control of the situation. And I just hesitated and I didn't. So after that split second, he took control of the situation and started, you know, called all the players over, sat them all down, uh, told them how that's, you know, not acceptable whatsoever. And from that moment on, they only ever looked at him as the head coach and me as the assistant. And it took me, it could have took me six months to get that respect back that I lost in three seconds, even mm. two seconds. So that was that was my biggest mistake early on. And I learned from that in my first season at my current club. Because when I went in for my first season at Matheron now, which is if Balathol's the city, Matheron are the United. So it's the local, it's the yeah. two local sides. Um when I went to Matheron in my first in, in my first season, I was an assistant to the head of the football academy because he wanted to make sure I learned how the club works and all that stuff before yeah. getting my own team. Uh, and he he's an international um, beach soccer player for Spain. So he travels away quite a lot with the national side. So it was sort of quite similar to, to the first one where I'd have, even though I was the assistant, I would have weeks where it was my own responsibility and stuff like that. And uh, we was doing a possession drill. And the idea was we wanted to make the players better. When we win the ball back, we wanted to be more productive with it. So when we're pressing high up the pitch, the idea is if we win the ball back, we've got to make a pass straight away. We can't just win the ball back for, you know, for it to go out for a throw in. You know, we yeah. want to win it back and be productive with it. So the possession drill was based on to count it as a steal, you had to win the ball back and you had to pass it to your teammate for it to count as a steal. So we were there doing the drill and the captain who had been at the club all his life, um, and a lad called Andres, every time he robbed the ball and tried to pass it to a teammate, he didn't make he didn't connect with the pass. So he was trying to um, he was trying to add points to his team's score because obviously the losers had to do, I think it was 20 push-ups or something like that. Yeah. Um and every t- and I was going no no you didn't you didn't connect with the pass and he was and then he was getting you could see he was getting more and more frustrated. So it got to this stage where about the last three balls that he intercepted, he just absolutely smashed them out of the park, like right down out off the pitch where someone had to run and get the ball. And it took him five minutes, and I was like, and I, in my head I was like, I'm not letting this fly. I was like, I've yeah. learned from that mistake. So I stopped the drill and I walked over to him. And I said, who do you think you are? Like, realistically, who do you think you are? I said, I've been here I've been here five weeks. I said, I don't know who you are. And realistically, I don't care who you think you are. I said, if you're going to act like that, you won't be on my training pitch. And I went, so go and get the three balls. Or if you can't be bothered to go and get the three balls, I said, see that little dugout over there? You can go and sit there for the rest of the session. Uh, and then that moment, it was like, right, if he's going to talk to, you know, this kid, he was the superstar of the team, the captain, the big I am. And it was like, right, if he's gonna, if he's not gonna take any rubbish from him, then we won't get away with anything. And then from that moment, I never had any problems with him. And the whole squad were were perfect with me. So that was I learned from that mistake the first time. No, no, that that's really interesting. So to take it like your current role, what does like the day to day look like in terms of what you're doing at the minute, Connor? Uh, the day to day is quite quite a busy one at the moment because I'm working with three teams this season. Uh, I'm working with my under-18s, where under-19, sorry, where I'm the head coach. So we train three times a week on a Monday, Wednesday and a Friday. Uh, I'm the assistant to the men's reserves teams who train directly after my team. 
uh, on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday. So on those three days, I'll get to the training pitch for about six o'clock. Uh, my lads, we don't start till half six, but I make them all get there for quarter past six because, you know, you've got to be punctual and all that all that type of thing. Um, and then from there, we go into the later ones. So on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'll be there for about five hours at the football pitch, double sessions back to back. And then luckily about two, three weeks ago, the men's head coach got in contact uh, and asked me, could I come and join part of his first team coaching staff? So now on a Tuesday and a Thursday as well, I've started to uh, go and help them out. So it's football five days a week. If none of the matches collide, I'll go to three games at the weekend. Uh, and the day-to-day is just basically prepare for the for the next day, really. Just make sure that, go over the sessions, make sure you're happy with them, make sure you're going to work on the right things and then just take it day by day. What are, you, what are your biggest challenges with that? Uh, the biggest biggest challenges, I would, that's a good question. Um, I would have to say that it's making sure, it's quite similar to the soccer school, really, because I think with any squad you ever get, you're always going to have this this separation in in level. So, for example, over here in Spain, the way football works is, even though it's an academy and it's a it's a good standard of football, but you pay to 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 be a player. So, like the the boys over here, the parents yeah. pay four hundred euros a year for the kids to play. So that that can bring its its own biggest headaches because obviously parents expect the kids to play X amount of time because they've paid four hundred euros. And the club expect every player to get game time, but when you know when you get to sort of an under 19s age category, it's a bit slightly a bit more competitive than it is at your your under tens or you know a younger yeah. level. Um, but the biggest challenge is making sure that all your players throughout the training sessions that they they're on their own individual growth path, and that the training sessions are challenging for your least talented player to your most. So it's 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 quite funny how that problem always seems to swing around no matter no matter what way you or what position you find yourself in. Yeah, so you mentioned this like individual growth path. What does that look like for players? Is it something you have documented for players or? Uh, it's not something we have documented at the moment um, because unfortunately at my club, not all of the coaches think the same way. So for example, you've got a few coaches that are very very old school like. You know, without talking bad about anyone else, I've seen a couple of sessions from the under 19s A team, and I've seen about 10 of his sessions. And I think the same session nine times out of the 10 was the exact same session, very still, very, you know, not challenging the players a lot. So you just make sure I, I never try to, I know it's going to sound a bit silly, but I try to make sure I'm not repeating drills all the time. So always just slightly different elements just to make sure the players are finding it challenging and make sure that they can grow but what i tried to do when i when i got back from i went i got invited to go to the psv training ground by a coach there um and there was like an open day where the coaches invited people and and other people got invited over and we went over there and it was like just just an absolutely eye-opener to how a top top academy does things and the you know the one thing you really took away from that course that the most important thing is the individual it's making sure you prepare those players to get to their elite. You know, obviously at PSV, the elite's very different to a sixth-tier team in Matheron. The PSV elite is, you know, you make it to the PSV first team. Our elite is you either make it to the Matheron first team, which is a semi-pro, or one of the big other academies, professional teams in the region come in and take you. You know, that, that's our elite. So it really just 
like drilled into me to make sure that I'm giving the players the best opportunity available to either make it to the first team or get taken by one of these other top academies. Oh, that's interesting. So, like, what you you kind of got into there, like things things you're doing differently at the minute. What are they, or kind of what changes are you trying to make to your environment? Uh, so the the first thing that I realised that I had to change when I got to the squad was the culture of the squad. And some people might think that's a little bit silly for an under-19s, but I think culture's the most important thing in any age group. You know, whether it's your under-7s your under to your men's first team, if the culture's not right, the players won't respond, in my opinion. You've got to make sure that the players won't feel comfortable in every scenario. So I have a I have a zero tolerance for negative comments towards teammates. I've kicked people off the training pitch this year over it, where they complain that a teammate's made a mistake. I'll give them a warning. If I hear it again, I'll send them home for the day. Simple as that. I just won't tolerate it. Because you know as a player when you've made a mistake, the last thing you want is one of your teammates in your ear like that. And I also think if you allow that on the training pitch, you'll get it on match days and you definitely don't want it in match days. Um, so I think that was the first biggest change and it was a bit of a shock to the system for him because uh, the first two sessions, there was about 10 players that all got sent to the to the sidelines for about 15 minutes to realise what they'd done. Um, and then the other biggest change is I'm trying to really make sure that the players understand what's in front of them. So we play with a 4-3-3 with a, with a number six with a holding midfielder. And what I've tried to make sure the players understand is depending on how we're going to be pressed by the opposition on match days, because we're at the level where we can't we can't do any like um, we can't prepare for the rival because there's no footage, so you can't like plan ahead. So it's literally turn up on match day. Well, we've just finished the first leg of the season, so after every game, I sat down and I wrote a match report out. So when it comes to the second leg, I've got a bit more information on teams. But um, before that, it was literally get to the match day. And right, they're pressing with a three and a number ten. How are we gonna how are we gonna combat that? The players know if if they if they're pressing with four men, the space is gonna be with the holding midfielder, unless he's man marked. If he's man marked, then the two number eights, one of them needs to drop to receive. If they go with five or if they go man marking to press us really high, which a lot of teams do, the idea is then for the eights to drop deep to draw the man to leave us three v three at the top, and then we just play short from the keeper to the centre-back and the centre-back just to skip lines, go a little bit more direct. So it's just it's just making sure the players understand what's in front of them. And right, if this is in front of me, I need to react like this. If that's in front of me, we've got to do this. And it's just giving the players a bit more of a tactical understanding. Yeah. Um, and what have we found is like the success stories of that or anything else you've like implemented this year? Um, I think probably... The biggest success story is is uh, is actually an English lad in uh, from a team this year. Um, an English lad who last year he was on the bench pretty much the whole season, and then uh, he's been working really well this year, and he's already been called up for the under 19s A team, and then he's been called up for the men's reserve seat team a couple of times as well. And uh, five or six of the players of mine have been called up for the under 19s A team. So they're obviously improving to get called up because the under-19s A team is uh, two divisions above the B team. So it's quite a big step in the same age group. Uh, and when the players have been going with the A team, you know, the manager's been saying that he's been very happy with them and that they're performing well. So, you know, it just makes me happier for them because that's my goal is to make sure that next season, if I'm there or not, that 
they've improved and they're ready to take a, the next step in their in their paths. Yeah. It kinda just again, some good stuff there, Connor. Just going through towards the future, what's the biggest area you think you need to add to yourself as a coach or in your leadership role? Um that's that's a it's a good question. Um I think I was thinking about this when you when you sent me the questions through yesterday. And it, this was the one that really stumped me. And I was sat there a good, you know, like 20 minutes mm. trying to think of a clever answer and a good answer. But I believe in honesty. And uh, for me, the biggest improvement I need to make, what I've noticed so far this season, is my side. We've had a few Tomkins this year. We've been beat 8-0, eight, eight, 11-1, and 8-1. So, you know, they're big defeats, you know, and they they hurt as a coach. Uh and I've noticed in those games, especially especially when it gets to sort of the higher scoreline. So like as soon as it got to like sort of a six or a five or six, as, as a coach on the sideline, I sort of gave up, which yeah. is it's just not acceptable. And I and I understand that, um, because as soon as you give up on the touchline, on the pitch, it's it's good night Vienna. They've definitely definitely given up times ten. So I think. I was thinking about it yesterday and what, what I think I'd do in the future is, okay, we're getting beat five, six, whatever. Let's try something different. Let's, let's you know, go to a back three or, you know, any ideas you could have floating around your head that you've been thinking about doing because we got beat 8-1 last weekend and we only went in 1-0 down at half time. But before the game, we were playing fourth, in, fourth from top away and uh, they were the top scorers in the league. And I said to myself before the game, I was really close to changing from a back four to a sort of a back five. Yeah. And my gut was telling me it's the right decision, but we hadn't, it was just something that I thought about that morning when I woke up. But in my head, I was like, no, you know, you start arguing with yourself, don't you? No, we've not, we've not really trained it. You know, it's, it's a big change on a big away day. It's better to stick to your system. The players know it, they understand it. And in hindsight, it was it was the wrong decision. I should have gone with my gut instinct to change to a back five. Uh, so I would say the biggest thing I need to change is if we are on the other side of a of a big beat throughout the game is, you know, put players in different positions, challenge them within the game. You know, if if you've got if you've got a centre half who's really really good and he's performing well, even though the team might not be for his development, it might be really good for him to play half an hour as a holding midfielder. If you've got if you've got a fullback who's really good going forward and you're getting beat five one, if you can put him on the left wing for half an hour, let him have a go at left wing for half an mm. hour. You might discover you've got a you know you've got a, a hidden weapon there who could change a game for you on another day. So I think that's the biggest thing I've learned this season, definitely. No, that's interesting. So then from from that kind, if you went back to your early coaching days, I know you've mentioned a couple of things around dealing with issues in the team. What advice would you give yourself now if you were starting out again? It'd definitely be go with your gut. Like, I know it's cliche, but it really, really is important. As coaches, everyone everyone knows you get that feeling sometimes. And if you get if you get that feeling, like like I said earlier, I knew when those two lads started kicking off, I had that split second where I should have intervened and I should have taken control of the situation. And I knew straight away I had to do it and I didn't. So and I learned from that. And it cost me that. And then, so yeah, it's definitely, I know it's cliche, but you've got to go with your gut. If you get that feeling in your stomach, you've got to do something. Just back yourself. Just 
And if it goes wrong, at least you know you you went with your gut and you don't have that that resentment over it. Yeah. And again, not not so much. Again, it doesn't have to be at your club, but again, from what you've seen, obviously you've been to PSV and had a little bit of a look around and stuff and and observe that. What's the the one thing you you change in academy and football systems if you could, and why? Um. I think for for me, I mean, it's something it's something that I spot more within my own club, and I think it might be something to do with the Spanish mentality. Um, the biggest thing for me is is the way coaches talk to players. I think over here, the Spanish, it's a very very old school mentality of like you know, you're getting the hair dryer treatment every other ten minutes. The coaches are shouting. Some of the language they use is just just awful and for me it's if i was a 16 year old and i had a coach shouting and swearing at me i probably would react in the best way you know yeah. just 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 talk to the players like with respect how you'd expect them to talk to you because the way the way i look at it like i said to you we've we've received three really bad defeats in those three games we've conceded more goals than the other 14 put together so we've had three really bad days at the office and it was only it was only this week where I raised my voice to the squad for the first time. But when I raised my voice, it meant something because I'd not done it since I'd, I'd had him since August, and it was the first time I'd had to you know really get firm with them. So if you shout at them all the time, they just think they don't they they just get used to it. So when you do have to really tell them off or get a point across. When you do raise your voice, you know they wake up and they think, "Oh wow, he's he's not happy here." And I think it gets a bit of a better response. So I think just talk to your players like you want to be spoke to yourself. Don't don't talk down to them. Don't don't be disrespectful to them. You know, just treat them like like kids because they are at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's a really good way way of putting it. And kind of just lastly, that where do you think that comes from in where you're working and in that country? That kind of um, mentality from coaches. I think, I think it's, I think it's definitely sort of a, a more. A, you get it more in the smaller towns. Yeah. Uh, like you don't necessarily like if you went to if you went to the city centre, the clubs around there, especially the top academies. You know, you don't really get it at the top academies because they don't tolerate it. But in the smaller towns where they can get away with murder, they do. And I mean, some sometimes I've heard coaches speak to players in certain ways, and I think you know what? If that was my, if that was my son, I'd be having, I'd be, I'd be saying to you, listen, mate, I understand you're doing a job, but don't talk to my son like that. He's only a kid, you know. I mean, I, I'm not talking about under 19s where they're on the verge of adulthood. I'm talking about under 11s where you can see players are tearing up on the side of the pitch, and you just think it's just, it's just the worst thing for me in the world, just an adult screaming at a kid over. a over football, like you'll never achieve anything like that. Just drop to his level and just have a chat with him because that's all he wants. He don't he don't want some big bloke or woman or whoever screaming at him. You know, just talk to him with a bit of decency how you'd want your kids to be spoken to. Nah, it's a good way to end. Connor, brilliant. Really appreciate it. Cheers, um, mate. and thanks for your time. No problem. Cheers, Lewis.